Welcome to the Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're building a full campaign as transparently as possible. In each episode, we're discussing overall plot points and focusing on how to use dynamic encounters to make more engaging sessions. For more general discussions, look for Campaign Builder episodes called Foundations, or check out our Dungeon Mastery series on the regular It's Mimic podcast. The party we're planning for includes a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and an outdoorsman as they explore their homebrew setting. At the beginning of this plot point, they're behind enemy lines on the edge of a sunken and destroyed megalopolis, and no one knows how this is related to the missing gods. All episodes are available on the It's a Mimic feed, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Everything is also nicely broken up into playlists on YouTube. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to, and head on over to www.itsamimic.com to support us by hitting the donate button there. And, now that we've appropriately pimped ourselves out, let's get to building! Woo-woo! So we're talking this week about scouting. Yep. Uh, the deal with scouting, and more specifically, what is it? We are going to be diving into a different side of the exploration tier. I mean, we've done escorts, we've done chases, we've escaped, we've been we've been chased. Yep. Right. Now we're scouting. You and I have been literal scouts in real life. Yep. And uh, and only I really have paid attention to the scouting motto, which of course is "Be prepared," which is what I do before sessions, and and you don't. Um, I'm prepared, just in my own special, off-the-cuff kind of way. I like D&D. I like D&D. I have my dice. So basically, this entire episode is about orienteering and, and uh, like, working a compass. Yes, pretty much. We're going to teach you how to find true north without a compass. Take the keen mind feet. And that's the end of this episode of the... Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. So, no, no. no. I, what we're going to talk about now is the difference between scouting and other activities on the overland map Mm -hmm. okay it's really a different feel but a lot of people just deal with it like it is another side of of taking a watch overnight right where they don't really understand the depths of this they say roll a survival check to track rivals roll a survival check to hunt and there's so much more to actual literal scouting than just that so let's grab dice i know that you and i have got a couple of ideas a couple of um, of hints for new DMs to kind of dig into another side of what scouting can be like. I just want to start off by saying, though, that a lot of parties that have uh, any sort of established routine mm. are going to just skim right past this. Yeah, there's a little bit of the spinning Batman logo that happens and, and then you've done your scouting and here's the information exposition dump by the DM before you move on to the interesting stuff. And the scouting is the interesting stuff. The, the, and our argument is going to be that the scouting is the interesting stuff and you guys should pay it more attention than you do. So um, before we uh, we get into this uh, in any sort of real depths about what exactly it is, what benefits does scouting provide to overall plot, character development, and fun? Like, Dan, do you, have, do you have an answer? Yeah, I do. I mean, if, if you are fishing for... No, no, just like for fish. Like you're oh, out on okay. a boat fishing. Yeah. Um, do you catch a lot of fish by dropping a single line, or do you catch a lot of fish by dropping a net? Um, I don't know who Annette is, but I'm sure she doesn't want to get dropped in the water. Haha. Anyways, I view the scouting of a town, of a keep, of the uh, next location your party's going to go to as an opportunity for your party to prepare the net, to cast that net out, to figure out as many plot points, secrets, and whatnot as they can. If you just do this, as I said earlier, this spinning Batman logo tr- logo transition or the classic Star Wars side wipe, you're, you're missing out 
on... You're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing yourself a massive disservice. You are dropping a single 10-pound line in for a sturgeon. It's too weak of a line. It's too big of a fish. Cast a net. And there's not a whole lot of meat on sturgeons either. They're relatively bony. Anyway, no, the point is, when you go out to scout, what you should be doing as a dungeon master, you should be setting this up as a player, what you should be looking for are the details of the world building around you that may give you hints and clues in other ways to go about whatever it is you're doing. Because when you're scouting, you're being proactive. That's the big thing that you're doing. Instead of chasing where you're reacting to someone else or when you're being chased, you're reacting to someone else. Escorting a uh, someone and an escort mission is reacting to someone else. Scouting is when you are proactive on the map, right? And so you get to look for these secret runes, um, these these uh, hints, these back doors, like whatever it is, and you might not know what you're looking for. Exactly. And the DM can. I mean, it's it's a puzzle without being a puzzle because you can just drop as many hints and clues as you want. If they need to get inside a fortress. Maybe there's 10 different ways in. Mm -hmm. Which ones are they going to find? So um, as a DM who likes to kind of do a lot of things off the cuff as well, I feed a lot on my party. And this is a great opportunity for me to interact and have a little back and forth with my players about what kind of stuff they're looking for. And I get to sit back and be like, no, yeah, that makes sense. There might be this here. I'll roll a little dice. Yeah, there is a crumbled section of the wall or there's a section of this keep where the watch can't quite see this corner of the keep that well right and this is all that kind of stuff that as a dm i don't get a lot of opportunities to have that kind of interaction with my players so i i love sitting and stewing in this kind of thing because it's also usually not a huge time limit like there's not a lot of pressure to scouting as well so it the the sessions where you're doing some scouting can often be good relaxation sessions yeah and let's talk about this we do want everyone to go scouting this is not the criminal or the outdoorsman going out and doing three rolls and coming back yeah this is a session where the whole party is working together to gain information for a general overall um plot point really they're trying to figure out what the next best move is yeah and it's if they just need to go find out where the troop movements are that's relatively easy but if you are out there trying to figure out what exists where is there uh, a, a lair or a fortress or you're going to find all sorts of shit in that forest mm-hmm. or in our case in a, a desert or a sunken city, right? Which we're up against. This, this really opens up the opportunity for players to wield a greater level of agency. And that, that's a big thing that we keep hitting over and over again is yeah. we need to give them agency. Despite the fact that we took it away when we captured them, yeah. we were still trying to give them as much agency as possible. And that's the thing, like, because there's not a lot of pressure of, you reacting to another force in this it you are you are literally like poking the walls to see what what works out because there's not that pressure you get this opportunity to really dive into some deep character moments and character development as well like interactions with between party members that i've seen are when there's not a huge amount of pressure to get done but you know your one party member sees that one thing during a scouting mission that triggers a memory and now you have this really cool role-playing encounter between your one character who's letting this little nugget of their backstory out to the rest of the party to experience to appreciate just how deep of a character they've built yeah absolutely the other thing that is very very obvious when you're doing this when you have a big scouting mission is you can get into skill challenges 
<laughs> yeah. You can get into downtime relatively easily just by camping. And you can get into party politics mm-hmm. by people trying to figure out what to do with these. So when we're going through our dynamic encounters later, we're not doing any of these. No. Right? Those are already kind of foregone conclusions. And we're also not going to cover what role to roll in order to see a thing in the distance. Or, like, we know that. These are just encounters, right? And we trust that the listener of this is smart enough to understand that. Or just experience enough. Or just like, experience. There are skills that are built for this. And there's there's more than just that. There's lots of spells. There are character uh, features that are there that people just skim right over because it doesn't do however many D6 whatever damage, right? Or it doesn't turn them invisible or, you know, warp people's brains. Yep. This stuff is usually really passive. And Pass Without Trace is one of the big ones. Invisibility, these are popular ones, but there are lots. If you want to scout, what about Locate Object? That nobody takes, right? <laughs> Unless you're like trying to go beyond the realm, uh, the bounds of the spell itself. I always find like when you take a located object, you're not using it the right way. Uh, well, the other thing too is uh, augury, mm-hmm. right? Knowing the outcome of things in the future. Like there's a lot of shit there that you can use in the exploration tier, which people aren't doing. So giving them the opportunity, especially um, spellcasters that can fit the role of either the criminal or the outdoorsman. These are these are um, opportunities that they're going to be able to grasp onto and give a new and different way of looking at at the world that you yourself have built. And this is also going to be an opportunity for your players to get inventive with some of their spell choices as well when it comes to scouting. Friends, listen to me closely. Levitate is a great spell for scouting. The opportunities for it are endless. Pyrotechnics is a great spell. To have a distraction and, and and use that in your scouting. Think creatively how to use your spells to their highest effect. Like I don't I don't see a lot of people using their evocation spells in scouting. Give it a try, man. Like we've we've said dozens of times before. Be creative with your spell choices. Be creative with uh, what you want to do out there. And if you know that this session is going to be a scouting session. Try to find good ways, and you will never go wrong choosing levitate. That, that's your big hint? Choose yes, levitate? choose levitate. Okay, so in the idea of 5th edition, normally people see rogues and rangers as being specifically, those ones as being the um, the tracking, the survival I ones. mean, let's be completely honest. Rogues have a subclass name scout. What else is there out there? For D&D 5th edition, what are the other ones that are very easily able to go scouting? Uh, div- divination wizards come to Do mind. Do we want to roll this or? Yeah, just off the top of our head. Sure. sure. I got a nine. I got a 17. So divination wizards. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, divination wizards feels to me like it's cheating a little bit. Well, well it, so it's there. That is what we're trying to find. We didn't even have to leave the tent. Right. But, <laughs> but that's just like having another role. Divination wizards can cast a wider net with a lot of their spells no. and they can get hints. Um, what else? What, what, what do you have? What's Barbarians, your- man. These are wilderness people. They live in tribes. They're nomads. Typically, they're nomads. I mean, you can have like an urban barbarian who just gets really angry when he drinks. But barbarians being so leaning towards the more primal, savage, um, outdoorsman frame of mind as well, they fit very well into this tracker stealthing through the woods because they're not wearing heavy armor. Like, they work great for that. My next one is monks. For the same reason. Well, they got the speed, then they, they can really get around. They tend to have high wisdom. Yep. Right? So their perception and investigation is good. I mean, warlocks, 
you can, that's your answer for everything, Dan. I'm tired yeah, of you but, already. But if you are a uh, great old one warlock, you have telepathy for up to 30 feet, and there's no save. So if you get close enough to a uh, walking patrol or something, and you're well hidden, because, hey, you've got invisibility on your spell list, you could probably be fairly well hidden, you could tell what they're thinking. Yep. I'm going to say that there are a few other martial bits and pieces uh, kind of around. You said, you know, there's the scout rogue, but I'm looking at the arcane archer actually has a lot of exploratory ranger-ish spells, yep. as well as the Oath of Agents Paladin, right? Has got some communing with nature level of shit as well. Anything that's like this is going to be super freaking useful. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, druids, just druids. Obviously, You're scouting yeah. through the woods. No one's going to notice the wolf. It's not even that. No one's going to notice the person that is literally touching one tree and popping out from another one, you know, 80 feet away, right? So there are all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. And and it's not even who's turning into a wolf. You can turn into anything, right? Yeah. So you can be a crow. You can be a, a, a rat. And there's no reason why people are going to look at a, at a squirrel, right? There. Uh, what I think we're trying to say is regardless of your class... There is a way that you are going to be useful here. Now, some subclasses are going to be have a little bit extra mechanical bonus to it, but the classes that don't often have spell lists that would be able to help them with this. Really, the only thing that sticks out in my head is being bad at scouting. Paladins. I was going to say artificers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. But even then, they probably have made something that helps and they have homunculi. Yeah. Right. Or some of them do anyway. So there are options here uh, pretty much across the board. And that's that's kind of the point here. A lot of people get very focused on if we're doing scouting, it's time for the ranger to shine. But if your ranger is a dual weapon wielding, you know, gloom stalker. Well, gloom stalkers are awesome for scouting. Horizon walker. Horizon walkers are amazing for scouting. Monster slayer, not so much. I guess that's true. Well, right. I mean, they're still good for it, but just not focused on it. Yeah, and the uh, the hunter as well is not great. Beastmasters, myth, right? Like there are even better options out there. That's kind of the problem with the, with the ranger with class. The ranger. Yeah, yeah. So this is the thing that they're supposed to shine on. Yeah. So I mean, we did we didn't mention bards or a lot of the other kinds of wizards or sorcerers, but every one of them can be good at it if they're given a little bit of heads up that this is coming, or if they start to get trained early to have this level of agency, right, where they can take the fight to the bad guys. Yeah. Because what a lot of stuff we've talked about so far uh, in this series has been the bad guys bringing the fight to us. With the exception of, let's say, the urban uh, unrest, mm-hmm. right? Or But that's just us neck deep in stuff and trying to dig ourselves out. Yeah, this is really, I would say, one of the first times where your guys have all of the agency. So mm-hmm. you almost have to prep a world map and know what's there and track patrols and shit like that, as opposed to prepping encounters. The other thing that I would say is that a well-placed random encounter, sorry, random, you can't see the air quotes, but there you go, encounter um, of bumping into an owl bear when you're trying to sneak up on an encampment of people, This that right there is a dynamic encounter. It's also right? comedic as shit. So <laughs> as a DM, like they're sneaking up on the camp and you just go... Oh, uh, which one of you has the highest passive? Yeah, you smell rotting flesh beside you. Zombies! Oh, th- yeah, or plants. There's yeah. so many plant and, and oozes and like there's shit out there, right? So, and it doesn't have to be in a forest. We're thinking forest because scouts. Yeah. But you can do this in the tundra. You can do this underground in a, in a network of caverns, right? Like there are other ways of going about it. You can, you can scout into other planes. 
So feel free to do this and think outside the box. As we as we continue to talk about scouting, that's really where we're where we're coming from. There are tons of opportunities that people are not using. So we've kind of given the overall spiel of uh, why scouting is important, Dan. But what are a couple of key aspects of scouting itself? What do all scouting encounters have in common? Okay, we're gonna roll for this. Yep, let's roll. Thirteen. I got an eight. Stealth, the ability to sneak and hide and observe without being seen is massively important. And this is what the main reason why you have your, in 5e, your rogues and your rangers are more put towards this. In our terms, your criminal and your outdoorsmen are going to lean heavily towards this. Um, the ability to stealth is, I mean, it makes this almost easy mode in some situations. Now, of course, we would know going into this that we have that criminal or that outdoorsman in the in the group, so we would build our scouting encounters with that in mind. And keep in mind that even a nat twenty on a skill check is not an automatic success. So keep in mind it's not an auto success. So I, I mean rolled, it's close. I mean if you're a rogue and you're stealthing and you crit, you you keep in mind that that there are stealth stats and whatnot in there for yep. all your monsters and creatures and everything. But you have to admit. They're going to get modifiers and bonuses and advantage and shit when you, they start wielding light cantrips, mm-hmm. you know, at night and shit like that. So you can tell your players ahead of time, hey, yes, you are rolling really well on stealth. It does not matter how stealthy you are. You are a fire genasi and it is the freaking Arctic. You, you can stick out like a sore thumb, my friend. And this is not about the roll. You can roll really well, but they're going to have advantage to see you, so don't get too close. And if you say this ahead of time, that's not fooling them. That's not pulling the rug out from underneath them. That's not being adversarial. That's you just promoting a fair game. Yeah. And so they're going to be more intelligent when they roll poorly. You know when you step on sticks. You know when you the snow is going crunch, crunch, crunch under your feet, right? When you know this ahead of time, you change your tactics. Pretty much freaking immediately. Yeah. I know when I'm hiding from Dan and I don't want to hear about him and the podcast for at least an hour that I shouldn't check my phone because he can see when I look at my messages. Yeah. Right. So I hear ding and I go, wait a minute. I know that ding. That phone is not going to get picked up right now. <laughs> I change my tactics based on the need and how stealthy I want to be. So and I try to avoid Dan at every opportunity. Yeah. That road goes two ways. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm certain it does. <laughs> So my first one is uh, self-sufficiency. Scouts need to be self-sufficient. Even if they are scouting, if they go to another town and they're going to check in at the inn and they're looking around to, to learn an important thing about the society, they are self-sufficient. They need to be able to move and perceive and stuff without relying on other people. Otherwise, they're just information gatherers. Yep. They're just information brokers. And true scouting is going out and getting that information for yourself. So one of the other things that we don't really talk about with scouting is the idea that you can infiltrate a, a masquerade ball. We always come back to masquerade ball in this podcast, yep. I've noticed. But you can go in and get information about social and role-playing encounters. And that is technically scouting. And you're not rolling stealth checks. As, as a quick aside, I think it's because both of us really want to go to a masquerade ball. But I'm 90% certain they're purely a sex thing. That's why I host them every... Th- Are you not getting my invites? No. Oh, it's because I don't send them to you, you pervert. So it's all about self-sufficiency for me. That's what I'm looking for. When I myself am going to scout, 
I need to have enough torches. I need to have enough rope. I need to have enough rations for the standard scouting, right? I need to know what my story is if I'm going to go do social scouting. You you hit on something there that I think is very important is that scouting can often take multiple days as well, where your character is just out for three days with very little contact with the rest of the party. Keep in mind, a scouting mission is not just you have set up camp within, you know, a couple hours walking distance of a keep. They'll know you're there if you're within walking distance. That's the point of keeps. You should come back from your scouting mission with levels of exhaustion because you did not stop moving that entire time, right? And so that is the amount of self-sufficiency. And remember, when you're coming back, things are getting safer and safer as you come back. So those levels of exhaustion don't hurt quite as badly. Yeah. But you and the party going out into the wilderness to, to do your scouting mission or whatnot, you plan to go for days. This is, we're talking overland travel without fucking roads. Yep. That's what we're talking about when we say scouting. You can scout on roads. You can scout in buildings and in crowds and in markets and all that shit. But remember, when you go, when you are scouting at the market, you're not there for 20 minutes. You are scouting out. You are staking out like cops do, and they become self-sufficient. You don't see cops. Then, like, the the police car then pull away to go to the drive-thru. <laughs> right? Because they're hungry. No, they pack food and they go and they're undercover and they are self-sufficient. They have a reason for being there and a cover story. And that's what you need to think about when it comes to scouting. Exactly. My next one is strategy. Part of a scouting mission is going to be uh, developing the early steps of the strategy of how to assault the target, how to uh, use the information you get to its highest amount of ability. Um, the thing I really like to hit home with this is um, if there's ever a game of chess analog within Dungeons and Dragons, it is going to be a scouting mission um, because you are trying to determine what the opponent is going to do. You are writing down guard rotation schedules, uh, personnel movement. You're going to... Uh, it's all about supplies in and out. Like this it's is all about as much information as possible, and yeah. then what to do with that information is the other side of that, right? And and if you remove the strategy, you're just walking into a thing saying, "Oh yeah, so here's all these things. Attack the front gates, then okay." And then you're just a bunch of brainless murder hobos, and that's fun sometimes. Yeah, I would even say that's fun most of the time, but you need a breath of fresh air occasionally, and that's what scouting allows you to do. It's to you're right. It's create the larger plan. Yeah. And we as Dungeon Masters, we know how useful a plan is. <laughs> no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? That is a thing that we consistently say on both this podcast and, and the regular one. But this is still important. I, I'm trying to remember who said it. A plan is worthless. Planning is everything. Because if you are planning, you are researching, you are understanding what you're talking about, and you will be adaptable. So for my last one, speed. In and out. And when your warrior and your priest in heavy armor sits there and says, well, I'm really loud and shiny and I can't move that fast and I got this and that. And and, and they stick out like a sore thumb. This is the time for them to take their armor off and be scared. Can, can I just make a, a, a thing here that bothers me with Dungeons and Dragons? Sure. Just because you can wear heavy armor doesn't mean it is the only type of armor you can wear. If you are a paladin in the D&D 5e terms, if you're a warrior and you want to go stealthing, 
get out of your full plate, get into your studded leather, and yes, your AC's taking a hit, but you're not unarmored. Additionally, you have a D10 hit die, so... Suck it up, princess. Yeah, so your mage <laughs> is sitting there going, boo fucking who. Yeah, right. I'm out here walking around, you can do the same thing, right? And so... This is the kind of thing, speed, it's about speed, it's about covering distance quickly, which is why most of the attacks when it comes to scouting are ranged attacks, because you want to hit hard and fast and get the fuck out, right? You do not want to cover the 120 feet of movement and get into round after round after round of fighting. You want to lose three arrows and then run and hide. And then when they run by you and they don't know where you are, you pop up out of nowhere and slit the throat and run. You are not sticking around. So it's about speed. It is about getting in and getting out and being as effective as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah. Now we say that there's not a whole lot of of pressure. There's not a big deadline on a lot of scouting, but sometimes there might be. Hey, we need to know what the troop movements are because they're coming. Mm-hmm. Right? And you need to know when you've realized that it's 10 times the amount of troops and they're just on the other side of the mountain. You need to get back right now with that information. And you sitting there to say, well, we'll give it another day to really watch what the movements are, could screw your kingdom that you're protecting. For sure. Right? So um, this level of scouting is so important. When there is a deadline, you are doing time management. I, as a dungeon master, would be counting the hours of the day um, because I need to know where patrols are. Patrols and guards, by the way, are the opposite of scouts. They stand still and don't let anyone learn anything. Yep. Right. So when you're doing scouting missions, you're really up against patrols more than you are against armies and single brute monsters. You're against, you're against like smaller troops, like smaller groups, mobile groups, which is brings me back again to speed. Yeah. Right. Or guards who are set up to just stop entry. They are there to stop you from scouting, from gathering that information that you were just talking about. They're there to stop you from building a strategy. And so it's super important for you to be able to move past them as quickly as possible. That's another thing that I don't see enough of when it comes to scouting. Retreating is an option. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Everybody go over there and set off your pyrotechnics or blow up a fireball or have have your warrior go over there in the full plate mail and just banging a shield against his helm. Bang, bang, bang. So everybody comes over there so that your criminal or your outdoorsman can sneak in with their double movement that are super fast, they can get in, they can get the info, and they can get out. And remember, scouting is not necessarily thieving. They do go hand in hand, Yep, but they're very different. I, I am stuck on the mental image of just like a warrior hitting himself in the head with a shield in order to be a distraction. I mean, I know if I was a guard in that situation, I would certainly be distracted. Did you mean to say helm or were you talking like a mace against No, that? I said helm. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That, was, that was very much okay. ringing your own bell. Yeah, cool. I did say that that you can ramp up the uh, tension and the pressure on this, right? But if the players are running their own strategy here, if they are scouting, Dan, what do we do? How do we keep the pressure on? How do we keep this interesting so that they don't just go on camping trips in D&D? As DMs? As DMs. All right, let's roll it. I got a one. Fuck I, you, Dan. I got a six. Um, I mean, we already said it. Patrols. Patrols and guards are a fantastic thing to keep the pressure on. I have said earlier in this episode that this is a great time to kind of let your players decide the pace and take it easy. They're not, there's not that amount of pressure. But 
If you have a player group who is as indecisive as some of my player groups are, having the pressure of if you guys stay in one spot for too long and I'm counting the time, you will encounter a patrol and just put it out there to them so that they know that if they take too long and can't make up their mind, you're going to hit them with a few. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to look at what the landscape is if I'm talking about tight cobalt tunnels yep. or if I'm talking about wide overland, you know, desert landscape, right? And your guys, if they're just taking a short rest here or there, they're hanging out behind a dune, you, you can hang out for six hours. You're not getting a long rest. No. A patrol will be by. You're hanging out in cobalt tunnels, you got about 35 seconds, <laughs> right? <laughs> so depending on the terrain and the enemy and and how uh, high the alert level is, that can really change the level of intensity. Mine is overwhelming enemy forces. When you infiltrate the town to figure out how many doppelgangers are there, and you realize that it's not three like you were concerned, it's 97. The population is 110. You know that there are 97, but you don't know who. Tell me, how, how's your blood pressure? Yep. Right? And you are in this town. And the mage was out of your sight for 25 minutes. And the criminal's acting a little weird. You've just now created a Stephen King novel. <laughs> Yeah, I've created an entire horror genre, right? Yeah. Like, like that, that's a, a popular method of ramping up the tension is hitting with these overwhelming odds. And you can do this with marching armies and ships coming in with more reinforcements. The more things that are coming, the longer you sit there and watch, the worse shit is going to get. And so you know that you've got, and your kingdom's army has 10,000 soldiers. These guys, we thought they had three. Turns out they have eight. And we intercepted a message that says there's another six coming in four days. Yep. Your pressure is on. So keep your eye on on the shifting threat level because if you want your, your scouting party to be more engaged, if you want it to be more intense for them, then you have to ramp up those ever-increasing stakes so that they understand that at some point, they will never win this. Mm-hmm. They have to keep moving. So for my uh, last one here, I have um, external threats. And I, I wanted to be kind of general with this one because this comes from both a sense of environmental as well as a, a side of um, other monsters and stuff coming in. And, and Are you giving. talking like random encounters? I'm talking random encounters. I'm um, The main thing I would, I would go on to here is you may be scouting, and I keep on going to this in my head, you may be scouting out a keep or a, a uh, sort of a battlement of some kind, some sort of entrenched land that your enemy holds. That doesn't mean that your enemy has cleared the entire surrounding area of environmental threats like pitfalls, quicksand, um, rock slides, rock slides, weather, weather, all that other stuff. It also means that they haven't cleared the land of owl bears and the occasional tribe of goblins or, or something. Now, I wouldn't make these threats too oppressive on the party as this is a scouting encounter. The big threat would be noise. And if you have a big fight going on, you will draw attention to you. So um, your party now knows that any sort of external threat, say a tree that falls accidentally because your party strung a rope up to it and didn't test it properly and this thing wasn't rooted well. Um, that's going to cause a lot of noise. It's going to draw a lot of attention to your party and that is going to add that pressure of 
you know, going against that stealth that I talked about earlier as well. Now, because my brain is always working on dynamic encounters and interrupting one thing with another, yep. I love the idea of you discovering other things that are not directly related and discovering that it's going to be either way worse or better for you. You find that little tribe of bullywugs that are cowering and you can get them all riled up to go attack the keep. You just got a distraction. Conversely, you are walking through the swamp and you accidentally disturb the black dragon who then awakens is motherfucking ancient yep. and goes and destroys the keep. You don't have that problem anymore, but guess what? Yeah. Oh my God. Guess what? <laughs> it has escalated severely. Yeah. I've, I've actually done something like this before. And uh, this is what sparked my mind is a campaign. You were actually a part of Adam where I had a bunch of kobolds. I believe it was kobolds who had entrenched themselves in a keep. It was kobolds because yeah. we murdered their women and children. Except you guys murdered very little. What did a lot of the legwork in the courtyard was a mother bear that you guys drew from a cave that you had discovered to the keep. And this mother bear, dire bear monstrosity just wrecked shop inside of this all right, and then we went inside, and then we executed. Them and then the you, yeah. yeah. Then you did all the all the elderly kobolds were begging for mercy, and the children who didn't understand common but were pathetic. I still hear their screams at night. All right, so my last one is going to be a little bit more subtle. So the big thing that we've kind of skirted over is you're relying on perception checks a yeah. lot, right? And we should be going out of our way as dungeon masters to understand that when they are doing. Um, there are scouting missions and whatnot. We're not relying on sight alone. We're relying on smells and we're relying on sound. And walking in and, and smelling the, the natural gas is uh, frightening. Yep. It is frightening. When you suddenly smell sulfur and the ground is burned here, and like, wow, I wonder what this was. Oh, shit, it's a demon, right? Like there are all sorts of other things that you can add in to slowly start dropping hints, especially if you've kind of got a, a red herring. Yep. But I want to focus on those things on the horizon, specifically distant threats. So you are relying on sight, but not in ways that you're expecting. You see a flock of birds just take off further down in the jungle. What does that mean? You see smoke in the horizon and in a direction that you're not expecting that there's anything there. Yeah. What does that mean? That if you give distant uh, objects and items and events, they're going to get pulled in many different directions. If they see trees shaking on the side of the mountain but they can't see what's shaking the trees i use this to great effect god you're modest what i did with this in the call of cthulhu game was the baleful howl you guys kept on <laughs> you don't say um and i often and i've said this before both on the main podcast in here that i often go to sound as a uh, sense that i target when i'm trying to do descriptions knowing that there is an echoing dripping noise in the cave or knowing that there is um, some sort of howling wind. My big problem is that if you don't have enough description, then it is very clear that that is the clue. Yeah. And it becomes very one-dimensional very quickly. Right. Well, I mean, you, you add in the visual, like target all of the senses is what I believe you're saying. 
Um, and for me and my preference, I do target sound because it's it's just something that I gravitate towards. The thing that I rely on as well is this overwhelming foreboding, this feeling of doom and dread. And a lot of people, a lot of dungeon masters take agency away by saying, so your character suddenly feels fear. That is removing the idea that, no, my character is a hero and we just faced an army of skeletons three levels ago. Why am I scared now? And right. Even though there's these, these frightful presence effects. Yeah. So what you do is I hit them with this reminds you of and then some traumatic event or the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Don't just think about the five senses. Your stomach flips. You smell something sickly sweet and it reminds you of death. I'm not taking your agency away. I'm providing you with further senses. Yeah. And it is a misconception that we have learned in the last 30 years or so that there are more than five senses. There's like 26 or something. There are so many. There's a few. Yeah. Like just the idea of you instinctively know which way gravity is pulling you. And you may think, okay, when am I ever going to use that? In a wizard's tower. That is when you would use that. (laughs) Please go listen to the wizard's tower episode (laughs) where we dealt with that shit, right? And so the idea that you can perceive that something's wrong, and I like to call it Cthulhu way, if you are intelligent enough, if you roll your intelligence save and it's super high, you know, and that's bad, Yeah, right? You're going to get some insanity effects. But if you roll beneath it, you're too dumb to figure out that... Oh, that my reflection has three eyeballs, right? Or, or the, the my mouth. reflection is smiling at me, and I am not smiling. Yeah, or, or just anything like that. The the grin is literally ear to ear, as if on a hinge, and there are too many teeth, right? And you can have these little bits and pieces. Perception is so important to this. Uh, and you can, and I mean, again, I'm listing visual things, Yeah. but you can do things in very subtle ways with a lot of the other things as well. You so. hear the gentle sound of breathing just behind, just, just out of your periphery. And when you turn, it stops. Yeah. You, you smell something that reminds you of orc breath, right? Like that can't be good. No. That just can't be good. Right. But you can you can do all sorts of these things that are subtle hints that are going to give them an idea that something's wrong. Finding knoll shit in the woods and then seeing a trail of blood head off in a direction that you're not heading. What is that? Now, these are not random encounters because you have built your entire environment ahead of time. Yep. And you know what's going on in that environment and you know when you are in it, you'll be able to tell them how old these droppings or these these this blood trail is right yeah. and so they're going to have a, an idea that wait a minute there's a knoll warband out here or maybe knolls were exterminated by the people in the keep whatever it is you're going to have a better idea of your overall story and it's going to stop you as a dm from going on your long monologues about ah you see as you enter this keep that there is this and this and, and you're just dropping exposition right you don't need to do that if you show don't tell yep it is that time again for us to start talking about our dynamic encounters that we have prepped for for what scouts could run across. Yeah. Okay, so let's grab our dice and let's roll for it. Let's see who's going first. I got a 19. That is a second one. I rolled ones twice. Well, you should just not roll dice. So for my first encounter, we have a role-playing to role-playing encounter, which... I mean, we, if you haven't noticed in the podcast, I, I tend to go fairly combat heavy. 
Um, so I kind of wanted to break the mold here and have your party uh, run into a group of survivors um, who will probably come up while your party is being harried by a group of uh, patrols or whatnot. But anyways, regardless, this group of survivors saves your party from being discovered by patrols or from being in combat with patrols. So this is another group of people then? This is another small group of people. Um, and you quickly learn that they are resistance fighters. And are about to ask for help when one of them in our world, maybe a swamp elf or a... Could be a water, um, uh, one of the water mages from before. One of the water mages from before or just going on the whole mage idea, people from the lighthouse, which we mentioned... Uh, way back when. Way we, back when, yeah. when we were building this world or even some stony skinned dwarves from the mountains to the north that we've talked about notices who your group is. And recognizes them. And now what are you going to do with this information where people from outside of your main town are now starting to hear of your group and get some wind of the renown? Do they, do they know you specifically or do they know you because oh, of the Black um, Ink Union? They rumor of this ragtag group of uh, members of the Black Ink Union who have been causing a kerfuffle. Keep in mind, at this point, you have... Saved a town from riots and a demonic invasion. You have uh, traipsed across the desert multiple times. You have explored the jingling city and caused quite a commotion in one of the biggest cities in the realm. Now, here you are at the epicenter of a another major world event. People are going to start to take notice. And if you are one of these mages from the lighthouse or you're one of these dwarves from the mountains or you're one of these swamp elves from whatever swamp city exists in the swamps to the west, your group is now going to start to get the idea that people are going to take notice of you. That can be really good or really bad. Yeah, I'm not saying scouting is going to give you all good answers all the time. I mean, good side, you have a group of survivors who may or may not be willing to help out. Downside, they know who you are. This is an opportunity for you to get some NPCs that can help. But remember what we said about speed and stealth. The more people you have with you... The less uh, stealthy and the slower you go. Yeah, and so I like the idea of you then having to have almost a, a home base. Mm-hmm. Right? So the big thing about this city right now is that it is it has sunk, right? But there are these large slopes that head down into darkness, right? Which is we know is the Underdark. Yeah. Right? And so... Um, but the city itself, which is the size of a country, this is a megapolis. Yeah. The city extends to the horizon and beyond. But all you see is a sinkhole, as far as the eye can see. So there are these slopes of these buildings that have crumbled and fallen apart, as if you took the whole landscape and flipped it onto its side and, and sunk it in, right? And so you think about how many people would have survived that, and it should be more than a handful of them, right? Oh, yeah. And yet, fuck, here we are. Right. And so who are these people? They're freedom fighters from what? Right. You know, you've run into some drow at this point. Yep. But. And they're going to be able to give you some answers in regards to, yeah, there are drow in the town. Right. There are these forces in the town and they might even start to drop these little threads of there are worse things than drow in the town. Okay, so my first one is simply that I want a handful of drow slavers to be bringing strange people up in chains from the Underdark. These slaves are potential allies, so the party should get into position to spring a trap and to free the slaves. What kind of encounter is this? This is going to be an exploration to combat. So yep. you see them 
and you are springing the ambush. This is you gathering information and then strategizing, like you were talking cool. about. Yeah. So uh, being relatively stealthy as well, maybe setting up a distraction. If you know, if you know that your battle priest is going to be in gleaming armor, you stick him out like a sore thumb with his ass in the air, going, "Can anyone help me dig out this chest?" Right, and as everyone else waits in the shadows, right? You can send out decoys or or distractions or whatever you need to do. But the idea is to try to rescue them. Maybe see I had no idea you were gonna drop this this group of freedom fighters. Yeah. Maybe that's either a trial to become trusted or they desperately need your help to rescue these people. But these slaves are being brought out of the underdark. So these are slaves that you have never seen before. Duragar, Svirfneblin, maybe Mykonids. Cool. Okay, so this is a new kind of sentient race. We established before that the drow don't speak common in our world, but maybe one of these guys does. And so there is... They function as a translator for your group if you get them on your side. Exactly. And how useful is that when it comes to gathering further information? Now, they're slaves. They don't know what all the battle strategies are or how many troops there are, but they can tell you what is a drow. How big is their civilization, mm-hmm. right? And they, they will have some idea of giving the exposition to why this is happening. One day, the ceiling caved in and the now the drow are mad at the surface world, whatever it is, right? And I think that this is a good intro into that. The role-playing encounter in and of itself will be mundane after the fact, but yep. this is exploration to combat. This is about springing that trap. Cool. My next encounter here is a uh, combat-to-combat encounter, going back to my home, um, where the party is going to encounter a small group of drow protecting some some sort of drow nobleman or some person of importance to the drow people. Now, as a uh, DM beforehand, I kind of know who this is, and I want to set them up as maybe this political figure for the drow as well. But uh, they are protecting this nobleman outside of the walls during your scout. And as you are approaching them and, and trying to get information, your party is jumped by a other force of drow um, that just starts attacking your party as, as hard as they can. The, the plan of the drow, I, I really want this to show that the drow may or may just be smarter than you as well. Right. And, and they have, knew you were there. They knew you were there or they were prepared for someone to be doing this. This could harken back to the resistance fighters. They know that there are survivors in the area outside the yeah, walls. Yeah, they're scouting too. So they are scouting too. Um, now, this is combat to combat because the ambush that is set upon you draws the attention of the people you were originally scouting. Yeah, reinforcements are coming. Reinforcements come in and this nobleman, in my story, runs, gets back in the city. However... This guy could be a powerful mage or a powerful priest to aid the combat as well. Yeah, I like the idea of them, of this this noble getting away. Honestly, it's drow. I'd make it a woman. Yep, okay. Um, and I would have her escape. Remember, you're there for information. And, mm-hmm. and your mage character that set you up with all this in the last episode after you had escaped. He says, we need to get all this info ab- about these people. And he sends you in. And now they're getting info about you. And so this is them getting counterintelligence. Yeah. And now you have to stop this noblewoman from getting back to whatever the ranks are. Because they're going to mobilize a force in this direction. You're dealing with a couple of guards and a handful of patrolmen. If that noblewoman gets away, you're fucked. Yep. Right? And so there's there's more to it than just this. This is combat to combat to combat. Yeah. 
So my next one is about two uh, very small marsupials that are wrestling with each other and, and kind of pulling at the pouches and their large eyes and whatnot. This is a wombat to wombat encounter. <sighs> I was like, where the fuck are you going with this, Adam? I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, it has been a long day. So my next one is going to be combat to exploration. Okay. I was inspired, like I am with most things, by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, where the ground, the first one, where they are fighting in the apartment building and they do so much damage to the floor that it falls apart underneath them and down they go. So this is combat on unsure ground, splits the party. And they've got to catch and kill a number of drow that have seen them. So there may be on the side of a building, but they're walking laterally across it because all the buildings are horizontal. And the streets are vertical. So this is a really cool environment to play in. Yeah, keep in mind, when this, when this megalopolis drops into the ground, it's not just going from this flat plane to a lower flat plane. No, you are very much on slopes. You are on slopes. This is a city that maybe on this part has only dropped a mile, but on that part has dropped an indeterminate amount of miles. And it should disappear into the, into the darkness, right? Yeah. And so... Um, and some parts are going to be steeper than others, and there's going to be sewer systems and and high rises, towers, and stuff, right? So, yeah. So there, there's quite a bit here. This was the largest city in the world, and it is sideways now. And the building that you are walking across to peek over the edge to see what the other people are doing, you heard another patrol out there, and you're trying to see the numbers and get the drop of them because there's some sort of spider creature with them, because why not? And as you engage them, the building collapses into the next building down. Your party gets split, and there are five party members and six of these patrolmen who are going to get away. And what do you do? Yeah. How do you handle that? And so this is going to be a combat to exploration. This could also very easily be a skill challenge, but you're not really dealing with everybody's turn to catch the one person. Everybody is really running their own encounter off to the side. They should be close enough, like rooms apart. Yeah. Close enough to hear the others and to know when something's up and to provide aid when they've dropped their opponent, but very split up and not being able to directly affect each other. Especially when one person takes off and now the criminal's chasing them, like downwards, down ropes and swinging off of of bridges that are now sideways and shit (laughs) like that, right? The idea that you are dealing with a sideways city and an infrastructure is really cool. It would also be very... Difficult to set up on a battle map. Oh, I'm very much doing this... um, Theater uh, of the Mind. Theater of the Mind. So, uh, But what I want to see here is the party split and dealing with this. And how many guys did you get? Wait a minute. How many guys were there? What happened to that guy? Weren't there seven originally? Right? And sure enough, you killed one when they when everybody fell. But they don't know that because he's buried in rubble. Hmm. Right? So you can really play with this as much as you'd like yeah. to make it as difficult as you want. I uh, like- or as easy and informative. Like you could uncover survivors. You could uncover like with the breaking of the floor. Yep. Or you could accidentally... Maybe it's not your fault that the floor broke. Maybe a massive gargantuan spider put its weight on the other end of the building and just ripped it down while you guys were inside of it, fighting on the walls. Yikes. Right? And so you have to have this fight as quietly as possible. And even the drow are scared of the spider. Cool. Right? Like, I'm just spitballing shit now, but I I want to split the party and have it be, be a hunt. Did we get everybody? 
So for my final encounter here, I have an exploration to role-playing encounter where your party and your scouting is going to come up to an abandoned drow convoy or caravan of some sort. And in your uh, search of trying to determine why this was abandoned, because I want this thing still fully stocked. This thing has not been touched. It was not looted. It was straight up abandoned. Um, First you get stocked before you get touched. What? I wasn't listening. Yikes. This is dark jokes tonight. <laughs> Apparently. We are doing the underdark. Okay. Anyways, so while you are going and you are investigating this uh, this convoy and seeing this loot, like your party's going to be able to find some stuff here, some useful information about how the drow operate, what their supply chains are like, all of this, one of your party members discovers a small voice calling out to them from underneath one of these flipped caravans. And as your party determines... They see inside of this little hole a tiny Zverth Neblin, little itty bitty guy, yelling up to your party in broken common. Of course you want to add a freaking deep gnome into this. Of course I do. I love gnomes. But yelling up to your party to help and that he could give you information. And it's going to be in broken common because we have determined that the drow don't speak the main language. They don't speak common. But... That's not saying that Zverth Neblin hasn't picked it up from other prisoners, other or, prisoners other, yeah. or a tinkerer's book or something like that that they've come across. So having the ability to, this is a, I was going to use this guy as another maybe translator, um, someone who could, if you get them on your side, help you. It could also be a ploy to get someone on the inside of your party. And now you have to worry about, is this guy going to betray us? Yeah. How much do you trust these these people that you've never seen before. Exactly, right? Um, who was just left abandoned in a, let's just say, untouched but abandoned convoy. Like, I want this thing looking fairly pristine when your party comes up to it. No crossbow arrows sticking out of it or signs of a beast attacking. Just flipped caravans and this one guy trapped underneath one. All right, so to wrap it up then, my final one is simply that while escorting all of the NPCs, to get out, you have gotten the information, and you have these NPCs that you have rescued are pieces of information, right? You got to get them back to the mage who is waiting back, who's covering your exit, right? While escorting them, more of the city collapses around the party, and an alchemy lab explodes. So the NPCs are scattered, they're endangered, and not all will live. And you can see that it's not just simply monsters are attacking, there's like... I would grab the living spells out of Eberron for this so that there's just crazy magical effects happening. Cool. The wild magic table, shit is going off all of the time. Yep. Um, and the party has to roll initiative and do what they can. The clock is ticking towards death for their friends and the arrival of a patrol is imminent. Okay. This is a role playing because you start off talking to people to exploration. Suddenly just boom. It goes off. And you don't know why. You've got a couple of suspect NPCs with you at this time. We've we've done an episode on unreliable NPCs, right? And so I would I would really be building my NPCs with that in mind. Yep. Uh, especially with uh, with language barriers, which we talked about in that episode as being uh, an issue. And cultural differences. They will have different priorities about whether or not they can run at different times or is it honorable to do some things? Can we leave people behind if they're injured? That kind of stuff. So maybe, maybe your Sverf Neblin just has spent enough of his life starving that when one of the, I don't know, dwarven prisoners that you rescued falls, 
It starts gnawing on a forearm. Yeah, man. It's dinner time, right? Like, loser, loser, chicken dinner. So... Loser, loser, dwarven dinner. So I, I, I want there to be this idea of running around and there being havoc and chaos. I did this with the uh, the caravan episode as well, where everybody got polymorphed and ran away. Yeah. And this will be the same thing, except they're helpless. They're probably on the side of a cliff or a steep slope to get out. And there is just shit popping off left, right, and center. And your players will all have to, on their turn, determine not only who is the most important to save, what is the most likely... Yeah, person there is to save, and how much time can we spend on this? Do you have any final ideas? Any any last thing that you want to say to anybody about uh, tips or tricks or help or anything else when it comes to scouting? So if if you didn't notice, we we left out certain things like trap making and and uh, the more specific side of things, but. If you are setting ambushes as part of your scouting, which is a completely viable thing to do, you need to brush up on your knots, maybe. You, or at least your characters do. Remember that a proficiency with thieves' tools will help you set traps. Yes. This is an opportunity also for you to use not just your thieves' tools, but other tools, instruments. Everything on the character sheet is at your disposal when it comes to... To doing a scouting run. All of the majority of the adventuring gear that you see there is for scouting and overland travel. Exactly. And that's why people ignore it. They they will load up before session one and then they will use rope and torches and I set up my tent. Right. And that's it. And they don't, they took a shovel because that could be useful, but they never think about it again. I ran around an entire Call of Cthulhu campaign wielding a fucking shovel and it was amazing. And I would love to do that shit in D&D as well. Also several dozen sticks of dynamite. That's that's beside the point. But, (laughs) but um, the other thing, so yes, use. Yeah. Um, Also a 10 foot pole is one of the most incredibly useful items for a scouting mission. Ladies. Adam, do you have anything for us? Yes, I do. Uh, and that is simply when your party gets access to shit and they start thinking outside the box, you can throw countermeasures up to be able to help. For example, if they are scrying. Now, most people will just say, oh, my guys, my enemy plans in an anti-magic field or whatever it is. But get specific. This is an opportunity when they are scouting, they're looking for information Give them information. If they want to scry, they all sit down and they close their eyes and they scry. And they realize that they can't get into this. Level. Now, they're not going to do it at level five, which is where we're at now. Yeah. Right. But if if they've got some sort of access to scrying in your own campaign, one of my favorite little bits and pieces that I use is lead will stop scrying, but so will any building material mixed with unicorn blood. Yeah. Yeah. You've done that before. Right. And so I will add these weird little ingredients so that the next time that they run across a unicorn, they're going to want to bleed that fucker dry. Right. You and also have a hatred for any Anything cute and majestic. That's true, which is why I hang out with you all of the time. So, that was an insult. You should be insulted. I'm kind of impressed. The um, the idea that you can add these, but then you have to give that information, right? Once you've added these details in there. So, you have this scry proof and they can't figure out why they can't scry. Well, the next time they kill a patrol, there's going to be a list of ingredients that they need to get for a scry proof concoction of yeah. whatever, right? So, set aside your get out of jail free card, but remember to be consistent. 
because you and may not want them. Yeah. You may not want them understanding the entire campaign all at once because they rolled a 22 on a perception check or because they cast a level six spell or whatever it is. Well, keep in mind, most guys who are going to be running uh, the show can see invisibility. And if you are scrying, specifically scrying, it does have a physical effect. It's just invisible. And if you could see invisibility, you could see it. Yeah, but you still have to know that you're looking for invisibility, right? It's like, what is, is an arcane eye is yeah. another one that that is... Similar. You would actually get a little security camera that bobs around. So there are all of these options out there so you can you can understand why dungeon masters avoid this. The same way that they don't want people to speak with dead. It ruins their murder mystery. Mm-hmm. But start thinking creatively, how do you then block some aspects of scouting? And this yeah. will add a crazy depth to your story. Also keep in mind that we... Um, on purpose left out the very intrigue-filled form of scouting, which is espionage. Well, we mentioned masquerade balls. We mentioned masquerade balls, but like this... No, no, no. Masquerade balls. Not masquerade balls. They're a little bit different. A masquerade ball is just when you throw glitter at your nutsack. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, you were saying about espionage? I am your bang! (laughs) There goes my train of thought. (laughs) Just imagine like a gnome. I don't know why a gnome. (laughs) Walking, <laughs> walking up and just like trying to pull the Batman move of dropping like the thing of cloud and disappearing, but just going straight for the nuts of the paladin who doubles over ha-ha, and runs away. No, no, no. I can picture the bard saying, would you like to come into my masquerade ball and then drop and trow? <laughs> Look, it's like a little mustache. Okay, so can we just end <laughs> this freaking episode then? Yeah, okay. So now that we have gone way off topic, but we've also determined the scope of the issue, it's time to digest this information and try to understand the other implications of the news that we've discovered. This will let us catch our breath as we try to regroup with our allies and come up with a plan to move forward. So tune in next week when we discuss betrayal at the D&D dun, table. Dun, dun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. And you can also email us at info at itsamimic.com. I'm Dan. And I'm Dan's Masquerade Ball. And the two of us will definitely be back, because there's two of them. Are you also a testicle? I mean... Uh, I have no follow-up to that. Just your <laughs> stupid fucking shitty grin. <laughs> okay, bye.